Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. We are so glad that you are joining us today. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I am joined, as always, by Amy Bird and Carl Truman. Uh, our goal is to have a conversation about things that count and, as always, keeping it casual. Uh, we have a special guest with us today that we want to talk about uh, his new book and the topic of the book. His name is Jason Halopoulos. Jason is an associate pastor at University Reformed Church in East Lansing where there are no Calvinists. Um, his book is entitled Let the Children Worship. It is published by Christian Focus. And as you can gather from the title, it has to do with including our children in worship and the importance of having them there. Jason, thanks for joining us on this episode. Glad you're here. Well, it's a joy to be with you guys. Uh, quite a quite a gathering. Here, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite a gathering is right. Uh, Jason, why did you decide to write the book, Let the Children Worship? Yeah, I think for a couple of reasons. One is I have seen the benefit of having my own children in worship services and just seeing the impact that it has upon them and the questions that it raises and watching them sing the great hymns of the faith mm-hmm. and uh, conversations we were able to have about the word preached, et cetera. But probably even even more basic than that is as I went around to different churches, as we pastors tend to do when we have a Sunday off, and I would walk into churches and, uh, you know, you sit down and you kind of look around and uh, churches are usually welcoming and uh always been encouraged going to different churches. And yet, as I looked around, just noticing that in most churches I went to that weren't churches that I've pastored in, that children just weren't in the worship services. And I had this shocking moment one Sunday where I went to a church and uh, walked into the church and sat down. And on the front of the bulletin, it said, our worship services are not for children. Please take your children to age-appropriate Sunday school classes downstairs. And ah, that just that made me really sad. But then the, the irony of it was the pastor got up that morning and was talking about this upcoming year and how their focus was going to be on Christian parenting. And I thought, oh, just the disconnect that some of us have in our minds and some of our churches have right now, that one of the chief ways we parent our children as Christians is to bring them into uh, the corporate worship services of the church. Right. And so I wanted to see that encouraged again. Good. I liked how in your book you you kind of asked the question if corporate worship is an adult activity when you're kind of explaining that circumstance you were just talking about. And it made me think because a lot of times we call, when the children leave, we call it children's church. And so I thought maybe I'd ask you, what what are our kids missing in the worship service that they can't get in children's church? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, I really appreciate that some people uh, are thinking through and saying, oh, how, how do we reach our kids the best? And and I think everyone that is doing kind of children's churches things, it's not because they dislike their children. 
Uh, it's they think this is the best way to right. to reach right. them. Yeah. And uh, I think people's hearts are in the right places. I just think that as we look at the scripture, we see time and again that as the covenant people of God are gathered together. So as the covenant community is gathered together, that the children are included. And the benefit of that is that they're in the midst of the means of grace. They're hearing the word of God preached. They're hearing the prayers of God's people. They're participating in those prayers. Uh, They're singing the great hymns of the faith. They're looking around and seeing that this faith isn't just uh, what mommy and daddy believe, but what all these other people believe. They Uh, always do a lot of looking around, don't they? I notice that when I'm singing, I always end up locking eyes with, you know, someone young who's, you know, watching us. Yes. No, that's right. And, and I think, you know, maybe most importantly, we, we can say that the spirit in all of its fullness is is really especially present in those corporate worship services of God's people, because it's there that all the spiritual gifts are present and they're being exercised. And God is especially meeting with his people by his mm-hmm. word and spirit. And so we, we want our children to be in in the way of those means of grace. And, right. Uh, it. It saddens me to think that uh, we keep pushing it off and saying, well, when they get to an appropriate age, then we'll bring them in. Ah, in the scriptures, it is an appropriate age as soon as they're born into this world. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting I, I because the objection you'll hear very often um, to what you're saying and to what we agree with you about on this is that, well, you know, my child is just too young at this age. They won't get anything out of the sermon. They'll, they're not going to remember any of this. But one of the ways that I try to talk with people about that is, you know, I can't remember being taught how to speak English. Mm. I was just raised in a home where, where that was the language that was spoken and, and it became the language I spoke. I can't, can't remember a single reading lesson in kindergarten and first grade, but I know how to read. Yes. And, and in the same way, I don't anticipate a child 20 years from now coming back and saying, I remember when I was you know, six years old, this sermon you preached. But I do expect if they've been continually nurtured in the fellowship of God's people in the church, that they're going to have a quote, you know, a, a Christian vocabulary mm. and a life and a view shaped by God's word. Well, I think that's that's excellent, Todd. It, well, thank you, know, you, Jason. Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it also it's including them in those rhythms of yeah. of the Christian life, isn't it? Where it's right. week in and week out that. This is what God's people do. That this is, this is the high point of our Christian life. Is week in and week out is gathering together with God's people, and so it, it's teaching them that rhythm. And think, oh, that this high point of our life, living from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, Sabbath to Sabbath, meeting with God's people as He meets with us. That this is the one thing that we wouldn't include them in, mm-hmm. and yet it's the high point of our of our lives. Yeah. Practical question, uh, Jason. Uh, there's nothing more distracting in a worship service than sitting in the row in front of some kid who's kicking up and misbehaving. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, it seems to me there's a twofold balance that needs to be struck. On the one hand, you need uh, parents who understand the need to train their children properly. But on the other, the other hand, you also need a church culture where parents feel able to do that without people judging them. I mean, for example, at, at our church, I was very struck once I, I got an email from somebody saying the thing they most liked about the 
the online sermons we do. Maybe it was a criticism of my preaching, I don't know. <laughs> but the thing they most liked was hearing the babies crying in the background <laughs> because wow. it indicated we had babies in the service and parents felt able to have their children in the service like that. How would you go about creating a, a church culture where – a, you do press on parents the need to, to be parents in the service, but also impress on the congregation the need to be tolerant of parents as they attempt to parent mm. their children during the service. This would be a fine balance to strike there. Yeah, I think that's, that's the concern for most. Uh, you know, if it's not the, just the hardship of wrestling with your children in the pew, uh, it's the fact that Look, it distracts. It distracts from everybody else that's worshiping. And so I think about it in two ways. I think, one, we need to be more gracious with uh, other people in the room. So I think if my child is throwing a fit or, uh, you know, is starting to cry, then part of the way that I extend grace to those in the room is I walk out of the room with my child. But But it's temporary. So, you know, it's correcting my child out in the hall or and hopefully we can return back to to the service. And so that, that's part of extending that grace to the fellow worshipers. And I also think that we have to be more gracious with these children and with parents. And uh, so it always amazes me that, you know, I can I can watch as a as a husband, you know, is, is watching a, a game on television, you know, and watching a baseball game or can be watching a football game and your wife is talking to you from the kitchen as she's banging dishes and she's saying things to you and, and you're not distracted at all. You, know? <laughs> you can stay focused on that football game. And yet a child rustling a little bit of papers uh, or fidgeting in a pew, uh, adults will say, well, it's just too distracting. Yeah. And, and I think uh, we, we just need to we need to grow in our in our patience and uh, the grace that we're showing to these children. And we need to learn that. They're really not a distraction as much as we think they are. And, you know, it's interesting. Christ there in, in John 10, when the little children are brought to him, he doesn't say that they're a distraction. This is part of the disciples' mentality, isn't it? That, oh, let's keep them away from Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a distraction. He's got to minister to the adults. And instead of them being a distraction, he sets them up as an example. Yeah. And I think we often miss that. And and miss the fact that they're informing us even while we're sitting there as well. And there's a real benefit to adults seeing children in the church. Yeah. That's an interesting comment because Martin Luther was fascinated by children. I've read a lot of Luther over the years, but time and again, particularly after he has children of his own, he comes back to children as an example of faith, of obedience, all kinds of things. And so I like I like the emphasis there, Jason, the need to have children in the worship service mm. for, for, for the benefits of the yeah. adults. That's mm. that's an interesting and good point. Yeah. Yeah. I have a piggyback question off of that one, Carl. Um Jason, what what can we do? Is there something I don't even know that we can do as a church to help um families who have special needs mm. children. I know that, you know, there's some in our church and, and they're going to be more disruptive than the other children. So, you know, I, I find that families that have special needs children kind of are drawn to churches that have a separate service for the kids to go to because they are afraid their kid is, is too disruptive or unable to sit through the worship service. And And I just wonder, like, are there ways that we can help this family better? 
Yeah, and that's excellent. I mean, there are a few things that University Reformed Church, I, I can brag on what this church does because I have nothing to do with it. So uh, that they do a few things uh, here that I think is just really helpful to families that are ministering to their special needs children. And one of them is that we have a buddy program. So we have a program where there are different people that have been through some training here that on Sunday, it's part of their job is to sit with these families and mm. to sit with the children and at times take them out of the service and, and walk the halls with them. You know, some uh, need to be walking around or some need to be pushed around or so that way that the parents don't feel like they have to leave every Sunday service. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's a great relief to the that's parents good. and to know that they have somebody that's caring for their child. The second is we have different places in our sanctuary that are set aside for families with special needs so that they can get in and out pretty quickly. And we have those as designated. And then I think the third thing that this church does pretty well is we have monitors and some some TVs and some different parts of the building that are broadcasting the service so that, you know, if you do need to leave the room that you can sit on a couch there with your child or walk up and down that hall because there's a TV there in that hall that's broadcasting the service. And, you know, it it allows you to still interact with the service, but hopefully, you know, that temporary leaving, you can then come back in, but you're at least not lost in where the sermon is at or where the worship service is at. So, Yeah, that's really good. I was just sitting here thinking about the fact that our church, and this is all by God's grace and because of people that have been at Covenant Presbyterian a lot longer than I have, but we've gained a even though, you know, kids are in our services, we have a, quote, children's church for the youngest ones um, prior to kindergarten that some parents take advantage of. But once they're kindergarten, first grade, there's not any other option for them. We expect the parents to have them there. We have a nursery if a parent wants to use it, but we have babies. You know, none, none of that's no parents are told if you got a baby take it to the nursery it's just there if a parent needs a break or chooses to use that but our folks have over the years just learned how to be enthusiastic about having kids and and because of that there's a reputation that kids with special needs are welcome at our church because we have like you we don't have something like a buddy program but i love the idea but but we've got enough people that love those kids and and make a a space for them it's a relational dynamic that that has to be there. And if you're a parent of a special needs kid, you know if the church has that or not. It becomes real clear to you early on. Yeah, and it's interesting that, I mean, in whatever city we're ministering in, there is a special needs community. And yeah. that word begins to spread through that community as well, you know, that this is a hospitable church for yeah. families that have special needs children. Yeah. And just doing a few of these small things can can really mm-hmm. help assist these families that have you know, a lot of them have an awful lot on their plate, and right. it's just a wonderful way to do ministry in your city. Yeah. But, Todd, I, one thing you said I think is really important is as I think about bringing our children into corporate worship, um, as a church and as pastors and as elders, 
I think we need to we need to do this in a manner that is also sensitive that many families are not going to feel comfortable with this. Yeah. And many visiting families are not going to feel comfortable with this. So I think it's incredibly helpful to still have an outlet like you were just describing in your church where there are rooms that, you know, we're providing child care up to a certain yeah. age and uh, that, you know, it's not something where uh, families are looked down upon if no. they are bringing their children to those child care rooms. But we're continually just kind of teaching and encouraging yes. families that there is a blessing to having your children in the worship yep. service. Uh, if you can do so, and yet there's not this kind of shaming of families right. that that aren't quite ready for it or that are visiting yeah. and have never seen anything like that before. Right, and that's one of the really main reasons why we provide a nursery during that time is, for one thing, you may be dealing with a family that has a baby and you have no idea what they've been through the last two or three or 20 nights, and being able to entrust their baby you know, for an hour and 15 minutes to loving nursery worker while they sit under the preached word, you know, that might be just exactly what that couple uh, needed that day. The other thing is with the children's church that we do have up to, I think it's kindergarten, it's just during the time of the sermon. Those kids are still brought in. Their parents bring them in. They're there throughout the service. They see us sing. They see us, you know, baptize all of those things. And then during the sermon time, they're dismissed for a, a Bible lesson. Um, so we're still trying to teach parents, even in that, who take advantage of that children's church, that that the kids need to be there. They need to see adults worshiping. They need to be led and worship themselves. Um, so, you know, again, we want them there the whole time, but uh, we do think there's value. And some families have found great value to have that that time with their youngest ones uh yeah. for another option but but again i mean i i pastored a, a church in kansas a southern baptist church and we had three back-to-back services and we did not provide children's church we provided youngest nursery for the babies but no children's church and i remember talking to a a visitor in our foyer one sunday morning and they had three kids and i happened to be at the welcome desk and with a few of our welcomers and the mom was very upset that we didn't have children's church to the extent that she was starting to get a little bit red in the face. And she looked right at me at one point and said, what do you expect me to do with my kids? Mm-hmm. And I said, I expect you to parent them. Well, and there's some, t- I think <laughs> there's some back. practical things that we can even help parents with. Like Jason, what if someone were to ask you, I'm having trouble with my three-year-old or even my eight-year-old through the sermon. Are there any practical tips that you could give a parent to help them to get their child engaged in active listening, which, I mean, I think it mm-hmm. takes years to really teach a child to yes. actively listen to a sermon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know, it's going to depend a lot on the, on the child. But I think one mm-hmm. of the things that we can do to start with as parents is that, you know, we prep our children the night before and on the way to church that morning. So Saturday night, you know, we're talking about Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we're excited about it, and Mm -hmm. we're going to bed early, and we're reading the passage that night before that we will hear preached the next day. My children, I've seen the great benefit of that because they know what's coming, and they'll seize upon it then when they're in the service, and it's a little easier for them to listen. You know, and on the way to church, I usually take one of the kids with me. I go a little earlier than my wife because I meet with some of the elders to pray before the service, and I always take one of my kids with me. I figure this is one of the benefits of being a pastor's kid. So mm. they sit through these elder prayer meetings, and on the on the way, I uh, always talk to them about what the service is 
is going to have in it, you know, what the sermon is going to be about and what scripture we're going to read. And we kind of recall what we've read the night before. And I think that just helps them to engage a little more in the service. And I think in the service with my daughter, it was helpful. She, when she was younger, especially, I would write words on the bulletin for her. And when she heard those words, she would put a check mark. So, and at the end of the service, I would ask her, you know, what word was said the most? And so yeah, I just put words that I knew would come up in the sermon, whether that was Christ or God, or if it was a passage on service, you know, servant or something like that, I would write on the page. And, and she just put her little tally marks and that just helped her to, to keep engaged with the sermon. You know, my son, I will, he is, he's a, a little man that likes to think. And so I will bend over every once in a while and whisper something in his ear, you know, about a question, you know, about the sermon so that then he's thinking through it and he's trying to find the answer, you know, somewhere in that sermon. Uh, but just different little things like that. I think each of us, our children are different and there are a lot of just creative ways that we can engage our children in hearing the preach word. And then always on the way home or over that Lord's Day lunch supper, talk about you know, what What was it that you heard in the sermon today? Don't, don't have that proverbial roast pastor for lunch, but, you know, have the yeah. have the conversation. Of what, what, what affected you in that sermon? What was it that you heard? What was one application that you thought would, would be helpful for you or for our family in hearing that word preached today? And that starts to make them think along those lines. Right. And it's and it's really hard, I would imagine, to begin that practice when your kids are 18 and 19. You know, that that's that's something that you start when they're young and that becomes just a part of their pattern on Sundays is that is that they know that this is one of the things we talk about at lunch, you know, um, and they begin to, to, to listen that way as a result. It is. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of an anecdote when our kids were growing up. We never we never talked directly to our kids about what good preaching was mm-hmm what good Bible exposition was. But I was away one weekend and uh, Katrina took the, the boys to another church in the area. And when I got home, I I asked them, uh, how was the service? And mm. they said, ah, it was okay, Dad. But they were about 10 and 8 at the time. Mm. I said, but the preaching was very superficial. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I thought, wow. Uh, and I'd never sat my boys down and said, you know, this is what you should expect from a sermon. Right. Just that we'd always made sure that they heard good preaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when they heard preaching that wasn't that good, they recognized, they recognized it. it. They yeah. recognized it. Yeah. 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 We're um, at our church. We're, we're fortunate to have a, um, a very gifted children's ministry director. I thought and Todd was going to say a very gifted senior pastor. <laughs> well, he's, <laughs> he's, 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 yeah, he's quite awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's undoing the damage that Todd's doing. It's good to hear. In fact, I asked Jason to say a few words about that. Um, but but we, um, we, um, I, I meet with her every Thursday morning. And by that time, I've completed enough of the sermon that uh, we meet. And then that day she crafts two different sets of children's sermon guides, one for younger kids and then one for older kids. And so as parents, as families are coming in to the worship service on, on Sunday mornings, they'll pick up, if they've got the younger kids, they'll pick up the appropriate sermon guides for those. But it's a, it's a, just a creative way for a younger child. And then the other set for the older kids to follow along with the content of the sermon with various little kind of learning activities that go along with it. And I'm so grateful she does that um, because it's uh, kids will come up to me after the service and show me 
uh, their page that they filled out as I was preaching. Is there it's, a coloring book page for like a preview? I, I don't have a I don't have a Stephen Furtick style uh, coloring book uh, thing uh, for me. Uh, but but that's what you know. Again, that's something we try to put in the hands of parents to to help them. And I mean, a lot of our kids fill those things out because I see them uh, after the services, and it's very encouraging that number one, it's being done, and number two, I don't have to do it. The thought of of me being able to tell anyone what my sermon's about before about 10.45 on a Sunday morning is quite (laughs) remarkable. Oh, boy. You know, Carl, I'll tell you. You'd never make it in a mega church, Carl. You just wouldn't make it. Um, Sadly, I'm never going to. What is it? You you drive a Prius? (laughs) Stop it. it. That does bring up a good point, though. I think another part of this equation is the pastor um, making sure that he's also preaching to the Mm -hmm. kids. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's something my pastor does really well. I, I, it takes a lot of skill to be able to, and communicating to be able mm-hmm. to reach all the different ages. Yeah. Jason, w- and, and so, yeah, just connected to that. Um, Jason, it, what would you recommend to pastors and song leaders, et cetera? What are little things that they might be able to do to, to remind the youngest ones in our gatherings that they are a part of what is going on? Yeah. You know, I think, as Amy said, I think, you you know, the pastor can address children specifically in the service. Um, I think we want to be careful with that, though, that they don't think that that's the only time that they're listening. Uh, sure. And so, you know, all their little heads come up just then. But uh, I think you can do that. I think, though, what's even more just fundamental is to develop relationships with the children in the church. Uh Many of us as pastors spend too little time uh, talking with the children of the church and Mm -hmm. uh, just getting down on their level, uh, kneeling down, you know, in Mm -hmm. the hallway with them and talking to them and getting to know what they like and dislike and, you know, developing relationships with them, knowing their names, for goodness sakes, you know, and that goes a long ways. I I was. um, Yes. I went uh, last weekend. There was a uh, boy in our church that was having a pellet gun war for his birthday. So he invited all the boys <laughs> of the church. Yeah. So I, I went out there. I, I went out there with my son. And, you know, it's 80 boys running around a backyard with pellet guns. And they all want to shoot the pastor, you know. And one, one of the dads right. said to me, he said, Jason, your sermons just got a hundred times better in my boys. <laughs> and, but he's, Good he's point. probably right. You know, there, yeah. there's just that, uh, that connection then of having a relationship with the kids that they'll yeah. just perk up a little more and listen a little more and think, you know what, this, this man really does love me and know me and he's worth listening to. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, thanks for joining us, Jason. It's been a fascinating and very practical uh, podcast. We hope that uh, the listeners have uh, been challenged and also practically helped by what's been said. Uh, children's worship is is extremely important. Uh, I quoted this a number of times over recent years, but I was at uh, Archbishop Chaput's Erasmus lecture a couple of years ago, and he was asked why the Catholic Church is in such crisis, why it's lost so many people. And his comment was, it's because parents didn't teach their children that the church was important. Mm. And I think what applies to Roman Catholicism applies just as much, if not more so, to Protestant churches. Those parents who teach their kids by precept and example that church is 
of vital importance, and it's the most important thing that happens during the week, will probably see uh, much less of a drop-off among their children from the faith uh, in later life. Obviously, we believe the Lord is sovereign in all these things, but we have responsibilities Mm -hmm. to make sure that our children understand what the most important things are. And clearly, gathering as the Lord's people on the Lord's day to worship our covenant God is the supreme privilege and the most important thing that anybody does during the week. And children are part of that. They're not to be excluded from that. So thanks very much for joining us, Jason. Uh, if anybody would like to go and visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, we're giving away a number of Jason's books. Let the Children Worship is the title by Jason Hilopoulos and published by Christian Focus Publications. So please visit the website and sign up to get one of the free copies of that book uh, we have to give away. More than that, if you get a copy, read it and apply it. Mm-hmm. Please visit our blog, mortificationspin.org. We thank you all for joining us today. Thanks especially to our friend Jason Helopoulos for joining us. And we look forward to being with you all next time. It's time? It's time? Did he just say it's time? We didn't have a lot of fun in the desert. We didn't have a lot of fun in the sand. Saddle up your cow and go behind us now Because we're going to the promised land For years I've eaten nothing but manna A dish that is filling but bland But now we're on our way Oh, have a chance to play Because we're going to the promised land Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... We've had a number of Roman Catholic guests on this show over recent months, but we thought it was perhaps uh, now an opportunity to step back for a moment and reflect upon what is it that unites and divides us. Yeah, yeah. don't disagree yeah. with this well-known celebrity. I mean, if he said out. it, then it yeah. must be true. Sure, it's, yeah. it's, we, we give that same infallibility to mm-hmm. um, personalities. Yeah, yeah, the unity advocated or at least claimed by, by the Roman Catholic Church, is, is, is really not unity. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Todd spilled a bunch of water all over the electric cords, I, I did. So, so we're, we've got our mics just pooled in water right now. So this <laughs> really? could be the last thing we ever do, Jason. <laughs> and and if so, I just want lives. you to know it was, it was good. It was good knowing you for this brief time. And well, uh, you'll, you'll have the distinction of being on the podcast where the hosts were killed. That means so. that this will probably get listened to a whole bunch of times. Absolutely. <laughs> this will get major hits. This will go to secular media books. and everything. Yeah. Right. So we're all good. We're all good.